Welcome to the final episode of Vignettes Season 1. I'm Ruby, the Artistic Director here at Emerging Writers Festival, and I'm coming to you from the land of the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation. Thank you so much to everyone who's listened to the first season of our podcast Vignettes, and to all the artists who have read and shared their work with us. We've felt really privileged to be allowed into each artist's intimate space and to hear them read their creative works. We hope you, our audience, have enjoyed listening to these works as much as we've enjoyed bringing them to you. Our final episode of this season is Luna. We asked three artists to ponder the night sky, to turn towards the moon as she hangs watching over us. Today, you'll hear from Lay the Mystic, Prema Arasu and Georgia Cartis as they respond to the theme Luna. First up, here's Lei. Hi, this is Lei the Mystic. I am currently in my room at home and trying to do what I can to spend as much time with fam and loved ones as I can. So I found a piece of quiet space that kind of resembles the moon. I mean, they move like each other, move fast and immeasurably slow, pushing things so powerfully that I struggle to describe how this quiet pushes oceans into the distance and need to pull them in closer. The quiet bits help me appreciate how tides must miss the dirt, the dirt sitting just a little out of reach. Reckon the moon might be a big softy, trying to help wet and dry reunite into something not so few and far between. I woke up one night and found the moon pressing into my mind, and I think that that's what made the quiet space. I think that's why they resemble each other, because one was made to resist the other until it was shaped to receive it, kind of like how I'm embossed with the last hug I relaxed into and still struggle so hard to accept a new one. I'm sorry. Okay, let me try this again. <laughs> so, when I was small, I thought the moon was a lamp that only sometimes like to turn itself on, slowly. And maybe that's how my quiet looks like the moon, not round or luminous or powerful, but turning slowly. There's a part of me that likes to turn all the light bulbs slowly. I grew up when I tried to resist the moon, then made myself a space and boss specifically to receive it. Oof, words <laughs> for things I've never seen before get hard mashed between planes playing game of mash and play play at name of space between the push and push and mash um pipes it's in the i think it's in the pipes see pipes creak the syllables of my name until i'm falling into places far and nothing in between and everything's in between and everything's in between and i mean i don't know you yet so we have everything in between. I sometimes imagine myself as a curtain being twisted into rope till all the days fall out, all the nights fall short and all the life is done before. And then there's this something and the nothing and then everything's in between. And I think that I don't know it yet, but everything's in between. Have you ever figured out how to meet your years? See, I met these moments. They were falling in and out of care for each other and everything in between. I sometimes hate how names let people call you and make these memories for how I like 
to fear. Being crying falls into my own body and everything in between. I met you before and everything in between. You'd be standing too close if it weren't for everything in between. And then there's this something and then nothing's in between. But I only met you a moment ago. But everything's in between and everything's in between. Everything's in between. Once, once I made a city in my secret place for people I love who left. Then moments come to tell me things and everything else is in between. I'm gonna start by trying to, then failing to see stars. It's dawn time and I'm sleeping, trying not to fall awake till birds start roaring noise at me and I can't fall back to sleep. It's dawn time and I'm sleeping, trying not to fall awake, repeating this game of seek and seek and seep and try to sleep in private. It's dawn time and I'm sleeping, slowly falling awake. And I know stars are dancing round in circles over me to tell me something. Did you catch a star while it was turning? Did it turn circles into broad daylight? I hope they do that, but never got a chance to see it. It's dawn time and I'm not sleeping, and there's something urgent about how I can't see the sky turn, so I'm going to finish by beginning to, and then failing to see stars. Thank you, Leigh. Now, here's Prema. My name is Prema Arasu. I'm an emerging writer and PhD candidate at the University of Western Australia, where I also choose English literature and creative writing. I live and work in Buller, Perth, on Wajuk Nungabuja. I can be found at the Twitter handle Prema underscore Arasu. Right now, I'm in my office in the UWA Arts Building where I do most of my writing. I have a view of the Shakespeare Garden and the New Fortune Theatre where six peafowl live. My office is shared with a few others, overflowing with books on every surface and there are empty mugs everywhere on my desk with a few plants. My PhD is in creative writing. I'm writing a fantasy novel called Valiant Dust which aims to engage with ideas about gender and identity through an alternate world fantasy setting and it's currently on its second draft. The setting is inspired by British-occupied South Asia during the Opium Wars. The protagonist, Hemlock Widdishins, is a teenager with an interest in witchcraft despite the fact that everyone tells him that boys can't be witches. Today for Vignettes by the Emerging Writers Festival, I'll be reading an excerpt. Locke spent his Lunar New Year money on a mail order, my first alchemy set as advertised in Teen Punch for Girls. He bothered the staff at the post office every morning for the next ten days until it arrives. It was a child's toy, a heptagonal box with seven partitions, each containing a small chunk of metal corresponding to the seven planets. It was designed so that one would learn how to manipulate each metal in order, bending, heating, and cooling. It came with a handbook which contained instructions, an alchemical table of the elements, and a safety notice advising budding alchemists to use the set under parental supervision. Locke started with the first, gold, to represent the sun, but he couldn't get the chunk of metal to do anything. It felt completely inert. The second, silver, for the moon was easy. He melted it in his palm, twisted it into long coils with flicks of his wrist, feeling how the particles shimmered, separated, and came back together. Copper, for Venus, felt softer, gentler than silver, and it liked being spun into threads. Iron, the metal of Mars, took him some time to master. Iron was not a metal that lent itself to the occult. Iron was the metal of warriors, of engineers, of architects. 
to lock, iron had always had a rough sort of nature to it, a resilience to change. But after an immense amount of physical exertion, he managed to flatten it between his hands. He was then hit by a wave of exhaustion and only made it to bed before passing out, where he slept for 14 hours and woke up with aching arms and shoulders. It was easier on his next attempt. He even managed to make the metal glow red with heat like a branding iron, but it took a great deal out of him. Tin, lead, and mercury for Jupiter, Saturn, and Mercury were less of a challenge after that. Locke returned to the gold to no avail. After struggling for days, he figured out the gold was pyrite or fool's gold. Then he realised he was an idiot for thinking that a children's toy would come with a real gold nugget. He decided he would try and turn the iron to gold, since that was the point of alchemy after all. He exhausted the apiary's library collection on natural philosophy and experimented with several dubious rituals involving salt, honey, and his own blood, but was not successful in transmutation, nor did he discover the secret to immortality. Thanks, Prema. And for our final reading today, here is Georgia. Hello. My name is Georgia, or George. I am a writer, performance artist, and tarot reader. I also co-curate a poetry showcase called Thin Red Lines. You're here with me in my bedroom at my desk, where I look out the window to an explosive ecology of chaotic plants and shrubs. It's raining softly after two days of intense heat. I have a cake baking in the oven in my kitchen while I talk to you. I'm a Greek migrant living and working on the unceded sovereign lands of the Wurundjeri and Bunurong peoples of the Kulin Nation. It's NADOC week as I record this, and I'm thinking a lot about the deep wisdom and knowledge of ecology, spirits, time, space, and narratives of the traditional custodians of this continent who've occupied and cared for these lands for over 65,000 years. Their stories stretch back to the beginning of the dreaming. They are the original storytellers. I pay my respects to their ancestors, elders and community, past, present and emerging. Always was always will be. Today for Vignettes by EWF, I am becoming a poem. It is called Half Moon, Half Time. I hate poems about poetry, so I wrote one. This tells you what kind of person I am. Not a person at all, but a poem. Martin Harrison says, I am not a good idea. So I cut my throat with a letter opener made from Damascus steel. I bleed house red. This draws a crowd of metallic chanting. The time of the critic is dead. Long live the prophet. 
metastasizing signs and symbols whisper to my liver. The knife was taken from me, so I cannot read their meaning, but on closer inspection find your black opal thumbprints radiating like a zeitgeist. What did you see through the hepatic portal vein? What sound does my half moon make? A healing high-ceilinged hymn? Or the grim quiet of my grandfather? Hands that click and clock too slowly to be striking seconds between sirens, but loud enough to gauge that time is reaching out. And I am so desperate to touch you. Our vision is finally 2020. Make no mistake, the voice in your bed at 4am is the same as the one flipping counterfeit coins between peace fingers, mimicking the barrel of a gun, two sides of the same game played by fear of death. This voice is not to be believed. I've spoken of fear many times before. I told you, I'm a poem. But you need to hear it from Timothy Chamelet, apparently. I'm not alone in despising him. This may surprise you, but the biggest surprise is the event horizon. Popular opinion is not fact. It is not even fiction. It is contraindication. Red brass tintinnabulation heralds the time of the prophecy. A plural future germinates in a dark moon sky. A full past rises with Mars in its shell. A multiple star system is a greater portent than a binary one. Possibility's belly is always full and always hungry. The land will take back the hand of the Godhead. Time is leaking out. The time of the critic is dead. These days, everyone's a prophet. For example, on 1 January 2019, a woman is baking a cake. She cracks an egg onto a saucer. Out come three yellow suns, a one in 25 million chance, according to the British Egg Information Service. Example number two. Energy distribution of the universe is 69% dark energy, 26% dark matter, 5% normal matter. What is normal does not reflect the majority. The remaining 95% of the universe is still unknown to scientists today, much like the ocean. 
The ocean is ruled by the moon. The moon is ruled by the crayfish and two wolves. The crayfish and the wolves are ruled by no one because in dreams there are no rules. The exhale by your bed is the part of you that is already dead. In the place where nothing can be anything, you swallow hydrogen and the womb of Olympias and rebirth yourself. We are risen, truly we are risen, Alithos Anesti. A poem is never finished. When flesh fades to grey, the odour will sing long after, and you shall find the answer you are seeking in the desert of broken glass, which is not an answer at all, but a poem. Thank you, Georgia. Thank you so much for listening to Vignettes, the EWF podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please drop us a review, recommend us to your friends, and hit subscribe. This is the final episode of Season 1 of Vignettes. I suppose Season 1 implies that there is, in fact, going to be a Season 2, and we're happy to announce that there will be. Make sure you subscribe so you don't miss out on Autumn, our second season, when it drops next year. We can't wait to share more readings with you in this way. Of course, this isn't goodbye. It's a welcome, a prompt, and an encouragement to keep reading, writing, and reflecting in your own ways over the rest of the summer. We can't wait to see you again in your new year. This podcast was produced by EWF Program Coordinator, Millie Bayliss. Our audio producer is John Tia, and our theme music was created by TwoCare. You can find out more about the team behind this podcast and the artists featured in this episode on the EWF website. This podcast was created and edited on the lands of the Wurundjeri and Bunurong people of the Kulin Nation. We acknowledge the First Nations peoples are the first storytellers of this land and that their sovereignty has never been ceded. We pay our respects to elders past and present and to the elders of the lands that this podcast reaches. It always was, always will be. Aboriginal land.